Bhutan is such a small country and it's a landlocked uh, mountainous country. We only have uh, limited habitable uh, valleys. So if you had a lot of tourists come in, there's no space for the for the locals. There's a lot of environmental uh, negative impacts, there's culture, social. So that is the core of GNH, balancing, uh, of course, economic with human values. Hello and welcome to Travel Beyond, where we partner with leading destinations to bring you inspiring solutions to the greatest challenges facing communities and the planet. I'm David Archer from Destination Think, recording from Dajing Geeds, British Columbia, a village in Haida Gwaii on the territory of the Haida Nation. On this show, we look at the role of travel and highlight destinations that are global leaders. We talk to the changemakers who are addressing regenerative travel through action in their communities, often from the bottom up. And today I wanted to reshare an intriguing interview that might have snuck by some of our listeners. It's one that still has a lot to teach community leaders, destination managers, and tourism professionals of all stripes, especially as international visitation continues to rise. So I'm going to step into a time machine for a moment and take you all the way back to our very first season. And by the way, here's a travel beyond trivia question for you. Do you know the original name of this podcast? Stick around to find out. Back in season one, we were unpacking some of the issues surrounding a destination management plan that Destination Think was developing with the local DMO in the booming ski resort town of Revelstoke, British Columbia. One of those issues was visitor volume, and it's a real conundrum for places, or it can be. It's tough to proactively manage the amount and type of visitation they get while also maintaining positive experiences for visitors, all while ensuring a net benefit for local residents and the environment. And as we've done for years at Destination Think, we looked far and wide for successful solutions. And that's when we talked to Damcho Rinsen from Bhutan. Damcho is the Chief Tourism Officer for the Tourism Council of Bhutan. And since the 1970s, way before most places were worried about having too many visitors, Bhutanese national policies have prescribed a desired amount of international visitation. And it's a policy with teeth. Bhutan has acted to make sure that the public benefits from the profits of tourism, And the Kingdom's Sustainable Development Fee, or SDF, is one such example. You'll hear Damcho tell us about the increase in the SDF from $65 to $200 per day per person, and that happened in 2022. But what's happened since then? Well, in the very next year, Bhutan earned a record $26 million from the Sustainable Development Fee, and officials like Damcho continue to seek the right balance, and that's apparent because in September of last year, the rate was lowered to a $100 daily rate. And this seems to be in response to concerns that the fee was slowing the rebound of tourism a little too much after the onset of COVID. Bhutan has also adopted an incentive program for longer stays by waiving the fee for visitors after at least four nights. And all of this amounts to a pretty interesting lever for the government to pull as it seeks to find harmony between the travel industry and local life. All right, now we'll go to the interview. You'll notice a different audio quality than you might be used to. 2022 was a different time for this podcast. And by the way, the correct answer is that this show used to be called Think Revelstoke. And now, with no further ado, here are co-hosts Rodney Payne and Robin Goldsmith speaking with Damcho Rinson. Today's guest is Damcho Rinson. Damcho is the Chief Tourism Officer 
for the Tourism Council of Bhutan. We're thrilled to be speaking to Dampcho, as Bhutan is a very unique example of destination management, and this is somebody that I've wanted to talk to for a very long time. Thank you, uh, Rodney and Robin. It's a pleasure speaking to both of you. Uh, and uh, I've started my tourism career from Canada. I graduated from University of New Brunswick in 2005. And ever since I've been working for the Tourism Council of Bhutan, for the Kingdom of Bhutan, it's over, I think, 16 or 17 years now. Yeah, so it's a pleasure to talk to you guys. Damcha, the Bhutanese example of tourism management is at least at the country level, one of the very uh, few examples that I'm aware of where you begin with a limit to tourism. And it's something conceptually I've thought about and talked about a lot over the years. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if you can start today by telling us a little bit about where you work and what you do. Okay. I mean, I must say this is the perfect timing that we're having a chat on, on the tourism. Uh, I work with the National Tourism Office, Tourism Council of Bhutan, and I had the Tourism Promotion Division as a Chief Tourism, Chief tourism Officer. The reason I say it's a perfect timing is because uh, tourism started in 1971 with the first office being set up. And then uh, after that, uh, in 1974, we had first group of tourists uh, coming into Bhutan uh, in 1974. Uh, and uh, during that, uh, our fourth king, his majesty, the fourth king, gave us a vision for Bhutan, say high value, low volume tourism. Uh, we wanted to attract mindful, responsible visitors, uh, and uh, and then thus we we reduce the negative impact to our culture, environment, and at the same time being able to uh, give a very good experience to visitors. So um, uh, just in 2021, we celebrated 50 years of tourism, and then uh, I think before that the COVID happened in 2020, and it gave us a time to rethink, and redesign, and restart, and reflect. More importantly. Uh, on have we achieved the vision of high value, low volume tourism. Uh, then we had to change. Of course, the whole uh, whole nation uh, is under transformation. So everything is being relooked. So the transformation is happening in civil service, in education, in procurement, in taxation, in water, but also tourism. And that's when, again, we had some change. So uh, up until uh, the recent change, people had to pay a mandatory uh, minimum uh, uh, daily daily, daily uh, package rate, which is inclusive of everything, but it also included something called the sustainable development fee, uh, which was $65 per person per night. Now, with the transformation in tourism, uh, just recently, uh, this has increased $200, nothing included, and nearly to $1,200 for visitors from India. So that is how the two, the, the country has looked at internal tourism. Uh, not, I mean, mass tourism is certainly not not, not our choice of uh, of of of, of uh, things to do in tourism. We are looking at more sustainable. Uh, more importantly, uh, the tourists can experience uh, Bhutan well, and then a Bhutanese can receive uh, tourists in a manner that they should receive. Right. That's that's interesting. So you mentioned um, that that fee per night, and you said that doesn't include anything. So that's basically just just to contribute to. Um, sort of well-being in Bhutan is that that the idea with that two hundred dollar fee? Yeah, it's called the Sustainable Development Fee (SDF), and uh, that's being collected. And I know it's also a very uh, uh, good question, uh, Robin. I must say because we are working on something. Uh, we are working on the narratives of how this is being used. This is being used for social development, you know, for for health. We get we have free free health, free education, um, and of course farm roads and things like that. But for basically for social development, and when we tell tourists, they feel they feel 
a part of the tourism uh, system that they feel that they're contributing to the nation's uh, the society's development. And at the same time, this money is also used to enhance the services, service facilities and infrastructure for tourists. Interesting. So I think one thing a lot of people have heard about Bhutan or you know, people who are not familiar maybe with tourism in Bhutan and know about the Gross National Happiness Index and that there's an emphasis on, on happiness rather than GDP. Could you just um, tell us a little bit about that and how that fits into uh, Bhutanese culture and values? Yes, uh, so this uh, G, G, uh, GNH, uh, Gross National Happiness, it's, uh, it's uh, 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 very interesting policy for us. I mean, everything we, we do, we, it must be in harmony with nature and of course for the benefit of the people. Uh, so that having said that, so it's important that whatever we do has to be, uh, you know, we just can't have uh, uh, economic value to it. It has to have social be benefit to it, environmental values to it, culture, heritage. So everything has to be wholesome. Uh, sometimes they see it's a middle path. So that's where this GNH takes uh, it's 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 part in terms of de development. Uh, so if tourism, uh, for example, if money was everything for tourism, we would just welcome the mass tourism. We would not have SD, you know, we just uh, not have this high SDF. We want to have a lot of people coming to Bhutan and then we easy money. But that is not uh, even what happens when you make easy money and let a lot of people come in. Bhutan is such a small country and it's a landlocked uh, mountainous country. We only have uh, limited habitable uh, uh, valleys. So if we had a lot of tourists come in, there's no space for the for the locals. There's a lot of environmental uh, negative impacts. There's culture, social. So that is the core of GNH of balancing, uh, of course, economic with human values. Right. You mentioned uh, Bhutan's a small country, so we should probably clarify that. How? What's the population, and, and roughly, is there a comparable size that you could think of for Bhutan? Um, I think uh, the in terms of kilometer, thirty-eight, a little over thirty-eight square, uh, thirty-eight thousand square kilometer. Um, and then um, in terms of population, about 700,000 people. Okay, very small. Very small, yes, yes. Some of the things that you've just mentioned about attracting mindful tourists, you know, a vision of, of high-value, low-value tourism, sustainable development fee um, being increased as a result of the, the time and space you've had during the pandemic uh, are truly fascinating. How many visitors do you receive each year? Uh, so before COVID uh, 2019, we had a little over 300,000 uh, visitors. Of, of that, uh, only about 70,000 were paying STF. The rest were uh, non-STF paying coming from the region. But this has changed now with, uh, with the new policy new, new policy in place where everyone has to pay uh, ST, ST, STF. And uh, Rodney, as, as you mentioned about Mindful, I also want to mention that we now have a new brand uh, previously, it used to be happiness is a place. Now it's a Bhutan Vili brand, and uh, with this, we are looking into attracting the conscious traveler. You know, who who was very conscious about where uh, he or she uh, travels and the impact that he or she has. Very similar to what how we started in 1974 with the with the vision of high value, low impact, low volume uh, volume uh, tourism policy. So yes, I think this uh, this idea of attracting. Uh, high net worth individuals and uh, the conscious traveler is something that we are really looking into uh, moving forward. You mentioned that the uh, program has been in place since 1974, so it's nearly 50 years old uh, at this point, and you're receiving 300,000 visitors under the program. Have you steadily increased that number over the years as you've learned what's, what the capacity is to handle tourism? Yes, 
this high value, low volume is a, is a guiding policy principle for us, which was 974, not really a program, but a guiding policy principle. Uh, yes, we have increased, uh, I think uh, uh, 2019 was the highest, of course, before COVID, uh, but it increased over the years. Uh, but now with, uh, with the restart or restart of the tourism after COVID or even now uh, a little bit of COVID, uh, I think the number is going to be very small. But before COVID, yes, the number has been increasing every year. And it was mostly from the, from the regional countries where there was a free move, movement across the border. So before COVID, you got to 300,000 people. And now after COVID, you're going to be reducing that back with a higher fee. Yes. We, uh, we, we want to have, I think the, the comfortable number is a little more than uh, 300,000. I think the comfortable number is probably about more than 300,000. Uh, with COVID, I, I don't think we can have that uh, number achieved uh, pre-COVID uh, anytime soon. I think it has to be a very progressive yearly increase and, and in ensuring that uh, we attract, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the conscious traveler uh, who are mindful uh, when, when they travel. How do you ascertain who is a conscious traveler? Is, do you have pre-screening before they're allowed to come? Is it the way you market to them? What's the sort of filter that you use to understand who's mindful and might be respectful of culture and, and who may not? truly connect okay it is i think important uh, elements of getting is through the story of bhutan uh, uh, and what bhutan is trying to achieve and believing and by the way the new tagline is bhutan believe and believing in what bhutan is doing and believing in what they how they can be part of, of uh, the new bhutan uh, brand uh, so um, that's uh, that's one of the most important thing about how the country is actually be looking at uh, the kind of people that we want so those people who, who believe in what Bhutan is trying to do. Uh, so it's a big increase from $65 in STF uh, from pre-COVID to $200. So, but we have a story and we wonder, we, to, we have reasons of why we do it. And those people who believe in this, they come. Uh, that's one. Of course, the other one is, of course, marketing. We have to get to this, those people that who believe in Bhutan's story and who want to be part of the sustainable tourism uh, movement and, and then who really are conscious about uh, where they travel, what, what are the impacts, and destinations must evolve, and Bhutan has a long way to go. Uh, with that promise, we have to be environmental friendly, we have to have, ensure that there's no litter all over the place, we have to ensure that things are in, in, in good, good shape. So, um, that's how, I mean, going back to my earlier answers, that's how we try and connect with the right kind of visitors. So how do uh, Bhutanese residents and, and people living in the country perceive the tourism industry? Is it seen as a positive economic impact and positive for culture? Yes, uh, pre-COVID, very much so. I think a lot of people were engaged, uh, over 50,000 or so people were engaged. That's a lot for a small country, like 700,000 people. So they, they feel very positive about tourism uh, being one of the main economic drivers. But with the transformation, the drastic change, uh, it just happened uh, recently. People are still trying to believe that uh, this is good for the country uh, because they cannot now uh, go after every visitor. There has to be a choice who can afford to pay $200 and more so who believe in the story of Bhutan. So that is, uh, that's where, as, as we stand in terms of uh, the, the people are trying to you know, perceive and understand tourism as of now, but certainly they believe that uh, it's a very important uh, economic activity for Bhutan and, and a big opportunity. Right. What's the experience like for me as a, a tourist in, interacting and, and when I visit, uh, how, long would I, how long would I normally come for and, and what would be the ideal length of trip and, and what would it be like being hosted by, by Bhutan? 
Certainly, you certainly like to have you as long as you want to stay in Bhutan. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the average length of stay is about six to seven nights. Uh, and uh, I think uh, a lot of people, because our markets come far away from US, Canada, Brazil, I think European countries where they try and club uh, with other countries. Uh, so they drew a circuit uh, tourism for them. But uh, we also have uh, European uh, travelers like from Switzerland. They do about 12, uh, 11, 12 nights average. So, but on average, seven, eight nights. But I know Bhutan is such a beautiful country. Uh, like British Columbia is a beautiful place in Canada. Canada overall is a beautiful country. I've lived there over five years. Uh, you, you need more time to explore. I, I don't imagine, I don't, I, Canada is a big country, but I don't think I'll do it in, even, uh, even in a month. It's such a beautiful country, so many things. Similarly, Bhutan is a small country, but I think the new brand says that uh, uh, sh long journeys, but short, short distances. So that's how the, the concept that we're looking at. But certainly, Rodney, I think you're probably looking at about seven to 10 days uh, to have a good experience of Bhutan. I can't wait. I can't, I, I can't <laughs> wait either. I'm, I'm feeling a field trip coming on. Dancho, you've traveled to other countries and you've experienced management of tourism in a very different way to, to the way you've, you've probably experienced other places and you've lived in Canada. What would you say to the tourism industry in places that focus on economic growth and, and perhaps haven't ever considered that you can, you can place a limit on there or that they may be a, a perfect amount of tourism um, to balance all the different interests? I mean, I think uh, we all have uh, different strategies or different ways of maybe uh, managing tourism. Uh, but for Bhutan, certainly is the experience uh, for tourists. And also, more so, it's how the local people should perceive. If local people try and be, if they believe in, in the importance and the benefits of tourism, and they, if they, more, more importantly, if they feel that tourists are part of their way of life, then it's, it's a great success for a destination. Other, unlike uh, uh, where if the local people start feeling that tourists are a nuance for them, you know, introduction in their daily, uh, daily life, then we are not doing, uh, we're doing the right, right, right thing in, in terms of managing tourism. So this is where Bhutan wants, Bhutan wants to get at balancing um, that tourists also enjoy with the number that we can have. And at the same time, the locals perceive that tourism is part of them. Uh, tourists, visitors are part of them. So I think if the other destinations are managed to do this, even if the numbers are big, I think it's okay. But if these are not there, if the carrying capacity is over, overloaded and the locals feel the tension, uh, I think it's not sustainable. So that's where Bhutan is trying to uh, not go towards um, where it's not sustainable, but we want to sustain. And with a small number of tourists coming to Bhutan, we want to send them as our ambassadors for Bhutan. We want them to feel good about uh, uh, having spent uh, some time in Bhutan and some amount of money uh, for the country so that's how we are looking at but if other destinations feel that they can manage to do this i think it's good but if they don't manage to do this i think long, in long term I, I don't think sustainable and you know we, you and i we, we all know that uh, with unsustainable tourism practices a lot of other negative impacts are related to it so i think this is something that Bhutan is not trying to uh, get there uh, get at yeah absolutely um, and that's interesting that you're talking about the the tourists and being sort of part of part of the culture or one with the locals. And um, that seems like a really interesting synergy there that I think in a destination like Revelstoke, we see people see it's us, the locals versus the tourists. And it's nice to, to see it as sort of one. So if, if tomorrow you decided that you were going to drop this whole sustainable tourism limiting numbers, 
um, and you just thought, it, let's not have a sustainable um, travel fee, let's just throw open the doors. What do you think Bhutan would look like? <laughs> I know we'll never, we'll never get to the scenario, but yeah, uh, I think uh, we had a taste of this pre-COVID because some countries could come without STF, uh, especially across the border and close by uh, our country, and we could get, uh, get a taste of it. Everywhere we went, at some point of time, we were only tourists. You know, you go to handicraft shops, tourists, you go to a hotel, there were tourists, you go to market. Every, I think it, because our country is such a small country and we're very few in number of people, tourists, I think we could see tourists everywhere. And even for tourists, they don't like it because they, they, they're not there to see tourists they're coming to Bhutan. And um, um, Bhutanese probably wouldn't want to see a lot of the tourists uh, you know, in, in, in their places. So this, if we drop this STF, uh, Robin, this could this would be a scenario where tourists would only see themselves mostly because we have a very less number and Bhutanese would uh, feel overburdened, uh, like whether it be a uh, vehicle pressure, whether it be a number of, for example, we have religious sites here, uh, stupas and monasteries. And, um, you know, when we go to these places, we don't want, I mean, because we want to connect with these places, these are spiritual places, but for some tourists, it's just a site for taking photographs. So that mismatch would, would happen and it was already happening. And if you drop this, Robin, I think that's going to happen. Right. What advice do you have for us in Revelstoke, a, a rapidly growing destination experiencing numerous pressures as we embark on long-term tourism planning? Really, uh, not, not advice because Canada is a beautiful country and, and they're doing a fantastic job in managing tourism. I've been to many places in Canada. I've lived and worked in different places. They're doing a wonderful job. I think the only thing that is really uh, keeping uh, the locals and visitors at core of everything you do. And if they read, uh, if the tourists are not enjoying what they're supposed to enjoy, and if, if the locals don't feel uh, tourists as part of their life, I think that'd be a feeling. So as long as these two are uh, kept at key, uh, at, at the core of whatever we do, environment uh, will sustain the culture, the local belief, and an overall experience of tourists and the, the visitors. Would really, uh, I feel that from my experience, having worked uh, in Bhutan, this is actually key for us. So, I mean, for, for you all, I think um, I know you all do a great job in Canada. Like I said, DC, of course, beautiful country. Uh, not really an advice, but uh, sharing my experience on, you know, what uh, I have seen over the last uh, uh, decade or so. Thanks. Rodney, do you have any more questions? I have, I feel like I could spend hours talking to Dampcho about your experience. It's, um, <laughs> it's fascinating to speak to someone who has applied so many of the principles that we talk about in the rest of the world and that I think a lot of people would love to be able to implement, especially as we've all been um, at, stuck at home a lot more, both in the, the physical and literal sense in the last few years and had time to reflect. And, and many people have experienced their destinations with a lower amount of tourists. And that, that gives you a, a window into what a difference could, could look like. And uh, I, I hope this is our first conversation of many. Um, and and I, I'm excited to uh, book my ticket to come and visit you and experience what it's like to go to a place and not only see tourists. You've, you've certainly sold us. <laughs> I think we're high value. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that I, I sold uh, Bhutan uh, to, to you guys. And you guys are welcome. I think uh, tourism is tourism will only do well uh, when we share experience. And I think we open our eyes 
and hearts and minds when we actually travel to different places. So you guys are welcome. I've been to Canada, lived over five years now. Now that it's your turn to come and experience Bhutan, our small, uh, tiny Himalayan kingdom. Great. Well, thanks so much, Damchal. I think there's a lot we can learn um, from the way Bhutan is is managing tourism. You know, it's a very different um different country in terms of size and scope but um there really is a, a lot of uh, crossover there and we really appreciate your insight so thank you for having me it's such a pleasure thanks Damchow. that was Damcho rinson from the tourism council of bhutan and here are rodney and robin talking through some of their takeaways from this conversation There are some principles that Bhutan use that are really important to consider for the long-term health of tourism. And I feel like in talking to Damcho, we get a little window into what tourism could be. Yeah, absolutely. Even if we don't wholesale adopt the model, there's some really good learnings in there. And I'm, I'm reflecting on some of the principles that he talked about and thinking about the connection with local culture and the need for locals to really feel like tourism is a good part of their life. Yeah, it's interesting. They have such a like diverse approach. The things that I knew were limiting numbers and, and making sure that people are, are paying basically that um, STF that he mentioned. Um, but he really emphasized the, the brand as well, which... I think it's really interesting because sometimes I wonder if that's just because so many people in tourism come from a marketing background uh, that we we buy into this branding principle so much. But he he really thought um, that having the right brand for Bhutan was was really um, a key part of their strategy as well, which I thought was really interesting and surprised me a bit. And you can tell talking to Dancho that. He thinks of brand not as logo or tagline, but really what people understand and believe about Bhutan. And they believe it's a place that is caring about the visitor economy and caring about that, that balance between resident happiness and resident quality of life and protecting culture so that it's there for people to connect to, so that the tourist value is really obvious. Because he also mentioned something about sending people home as ambassadors. Right? And we often think at Destination Think about the opportunity for repeat visitation, but also the opportunity that every person who leaves becomes a, a, a walking billboard for your destination because they just fell in love with it so much. And, and pretty soon, if you, if you get that experience right, that you, you don't really need to advertise as much and you, you can really build brand value in a way that you can start to do the sorts of things that Bhutan has done and really make sure that the whole community is getting a ton of economic and intangible value from tourism. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess there are travelers like us, people who are immersed in the, in the industry and, and, you know, we think of Bhutan as, as being this stand-up model. Um, and, and that's what would really attract me. And I think yourself as well to Bhutan, um, but we're in the industry and I, I think they've done a good job of, of spreading that image a little further. Um, and, and I think the, the gross national happiness index is, is something people really know as well about Bhutan. And they think, wow, I want to experience this country with just these um, alternative values. So 
Uh, they do a great job of, of being value driven, I think, both in their tourism economy, but it seems like across the board. Um, and he was talking about all the benefits of the economic benefits of tourism being dispersed to things like free health care and education, um, which is which is really progressive. And I'm uh, doing doing some crude math on the value of their sustainable tourism fee. Before the pandemic, they had 300,000 visitors paying $50 a day. So we're talking about tens of millions of dollars going towards the types of things uh, and infrastructure that, uh, that help to maintain a tourism industry. One thing that's fascinating is even Bhutan took time to pause during the pandemic and are really making a change on the other end of it. They're not just talking about building back better, but they're actually doing it. They're reducing their tourist numbers even further uh, based on what they've learned. So there's obviously, there's obviously something in here uh, that we can learn too. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think I didn't realize um, that they had, you know, this principle and the, and the fee would apply to people, you know, flying into Bhutan or uh, visiting as part of a, Asia, Southeast Asia circuit, um, but I didn't realize they had a more porous principle with respect to their neighboring countries. Um, and you could see how that would create a disproportionate impact. Um, so I know a lot of destinations have had an opportunity through COVID to sort of pause and, and think about how tourism looks. And we certainly have here in Revelstoke. And it's interesting to hear their reflection on that as well. I think retroactively creating some kind of program based on these principles for a, a destination that hasn't had them in place for 50 years wouldn't be an easy thing to do. I was really interested to hear that this wasn't easy for them and, and isn't easy for them, and they, they get a lot of pressure from the tourism industry to, to open up more. But they've kept fighting because tourism, they see tourism as for the nation, where every Bhutanese is a stakeholder for tourism. And I think that's that's a really fascinating challenge that they're also recognizing and experiencing. But the principle where every resident is a stakeholder in tourism is something I think we can learn. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like there is a a real synergy between the residents and the tourists. From what his description is that residents see the benefit and and feel the tangible benefit of that economy and that there's perhaps less of an animosity uh, like we see in some other popular tourist destinations. And that there's no interruption to their way of life and that because of that, the tourists have a better experience because they're connecting properly and not just taking photos of things. And I think you can even see that in a mountain town, um, you know, in in North America, whether it's Revelstoke or others, where... uh, you know, early in the development of the um, destination, people really, really come for the, the, the types of things that residents often move for. And more and more people come because people are coming and you, you, your brand and reputation takes on a life of its own. The disconnect becomes wider between the people coming and the, the local values. So I think that's something we need to keep in mind as we go forward as well. Yeah, the the example he gave that really resonated with me was was the example of visiting a temple, you know, a place of religious reflection and and worship, and that people are just going, you know, a lot of tourists will go to take pictures, and but that people are really using those those facilities. And having myself traveled through Asia and Indonesia in particular, as you see, like 
200 tourists and three people trying to, you know, give an offering at a shrine uh, and that that's really interrupted. Um, and I think there's some crossover. You know, we're not a big religious destination here in Revelstoke, but I think a lot of us see our sort of religion tied up in, in the mountains and, and where we go to play. So uh, making sure that people taking selfies and, and getting out and wanting to capture their experience isn't interrupting, um, you know, the other uses of those areas. This has been Travel Beyond, presented by Destination Think, and you just heard from co-hosts Robin Goldsmith and Rodney Payne. They spoke with Damcho Rinson from the Tourism Council of Bhutan. For more resources about this episode, visit the blog at destinationthink.com and search Bhutan. We've updated our article about this interview with an episode transcript, as well as links to some of the stats I mentioned. This episode has been produced and has theme music composed by me, David Archer. My co-producer is Sarah Raymond Boy. Lindsay Payne and Annika Rautiola provided production support. A big thank you to Damcho Rinson for participating in this episode and for sharing interesting ideas like gross national happiness. And if this episode increased your happiness today, why not leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? It's one of the ways more people can hear shows like this. We've got a really exciting new season of Travel Beyond coming up, and I won't give anything away yet, but our team is really looking forward to sharing it. We'll see you next time. <laughs>